Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, yes, indeed, and good afternoon to you. Welcome to this Tuesday edition of Lifeline for the ninth day of August. Trust you're doing well. We've got uh, some interesting issues to talk about tonight. And uh, I I want to suggest at the very get-go that we're going to kind of stay out of the political fray today. There's an awful lot of uneducated, uninformed, or underinformed opinions floating out there with regard to the events that unfolded in Florida yesterday. And uh, while, while it's easy to jump on the bandwagon, I think we need to take a let's stand back, stand back take a good bit of a deep breath, and try to figure out what's going on here. So uh, rather than prematurely jumping into that fray, we're, we're going um, to be a bit more reserved and say when we get more information, we'll talk about it. But right now, to just pile on and engage in all kinds of speculation, I don't think is productive. And so uh, with that, we are going to focus, though, on more productive issues today, one of which is an amazing bit of legislation that's working its way through the state of Arizona right now. And um, it, it really, I think, culminates in a answer to the frustration that many parents have felt post-COVID and what with the sort of social science agenda that's been going on in uh, public school systems in places like California and New York for many years now, it seems as if now um, Arizona's come up with a plan for grades K through 12 students to be able to gain educational freedom. I think they're going to raise the bar and the standard for states across the union So we're going to talk a bit about what's going on with the empowerment scholarship accounts in Arizona and why this might potentially be coming to a ballot box near you here in California. Details to follow a little bit later on in tonight's program. But speaking of things going on in Florida, how's that for a transition? Uh, You might have heard in the news in recent days the fact that Governor Ron DeSantis there removed a county or a state, rather, attorney um, for publicly vowing not to enforce the law. Now, you know, it's one thing when the citizens decide they're not going to obey the laws, and, of course, there's a response to all of that. It's typically called jail time. But what happens when government officials who are charged with and who take an oath to uphold the law of the country or a given state simply refuse to do so because it doesn't seem to square with their own personal opinions. We had that to a degree with our former DA in San Francisco, Chase Boudin, and you know what happened to his political career. So what of what's going on in Florida? With some insights into the implications of all this, we're joined now by Brian Johnston, Western Regional Director with the National Right to Life Committee and host of Life Matters, which comes your way every Saturday morning at 11 a.m. here on KFAX. And and, and Brian, welcome to you. And while I'd like to say that um, this kind of attitude is rare, it seems to be growing, at least in certain parts of the union, where authorities, be it a sheriff, the police department, a judge, or 
uh, attorney or DA just up and decides, yeah, I realize that I'm not part of the legislative body and I have no control over the laws being passed, but I'm just going to arbitrarily decide not to enforce them. What's up with that? Well, Craig, I think you're, you're hitting it on the head. There's a lawlessness now that has begun sweeping our nation. And what's important to realize, on the heels of the Dobbs decision, what Dobbs did is it allowed protection, legal protection, of vulnerable human lives once again. Roe v. Wade took the authority of the states to protect lives. It took it away from the states and gave it to one person to be abortionist. But now that states can protect lives, and the state of Florida said, look, after 15 weeks gestation, we really need to protect that baby's life. Before that, if there's some hard cases, but after 15 weeks, you can hold that kid in your arms. And so those laws are there, but now we have individuals that want to take it on themselves to protect abortionists, to not follow the laws, and yet these are people who has sworn to uphold the law. So this is a very important battle. We need to recognize, again, it's, it's important for us as pro-lifers. We want to care for moms. We want to protect babies. But before Roe v. Wade, remember, it was the job of the government to protect those that can't protect themselves. And now we can do it again, but not if you have people who say, well, I'm not going to do my job. I am defying. I am going to be a lawbreaker, even though I am supposedly enforcing the law. So this is important. Governor DeSantis said, I'm sorry, uh, I have to suspend you. If you're not going to support the laws of our state, you can't call yourself a county prosecutor. So Governor DeSantis, thankfully, was responsible. Uh, our governor is doing the opposite, as you know. Our governor doesn't want any legal protection for babies at any time. But Governor DeSantis is upholding the law, and when he meets with lawlessness, as in the case of this prosecutor, is taking the right course of action, and he wants to replace him. That's, this now has gone into court, but that's okay. We have to make sure that laws that are just are upheld and protected, and that's why we get involved in civics. We want to support candidates, whether it be a county prosecutor or a governor, that's going to uphold just laws. So we're in an amazing moment in American history, and uh, here we are. But uh, the fact is, is that we have to hold people accountable for their actions. Well, and you know, at the end of the day, I, I understand that there are differences of opinion, but there's also a remedy for that, that if you don't like the laws passed in your state, you can either See if there's an angle that would nullify them constitutionally or go before the legislative body and say, I'd like to make a proposal. If you get no satisfaction there in a state like California, uh, you mm -hmm. can submit for consideration a proposition. And if you get enough valid signatures, bypass the legislature altogether and get a proposition before voters. But just to arbitrarily decide what will and won't be enforced. I mean, boy, doesn't that send 
not only a very mixed message, but but also suggest that that we're just sort of devolving from a nation that was always one that respected the rule of law in order to create a balanced civil society that all of a sudden now becomes almost like the Wild West from a legal standpoint. And that that can't be good. I don't care what the topic is. The minute you have prosecutors deciding what they will and won't decide uh, they, they wish to abide by is just very, very dangerous precedent. It really is, and I think we have to remember that now, that, that we have a duty in civics to make sure that we vote for, use our voices for just laws and to elect just lawmakers at every level. Again, this is a county prosecutor but was defying the laws of his state because he favors abortion, unlimited abortion, and favors the rights of the abortionist. And that's something that we can't have people choosing their favorites. It's like a policeman who's friends with the mafia. Well, I've got friends in the mafia. I'm not going to enforce the laws that are breaking. I, I beg your pardon? Well, don't be a policeman. Well, exactly. And, and and while he's certainly entitled to his personal opinion on that, I may not agree with it, but I will defend to the end his right to hold that opinion. However, in his official capacity as a prosecutor, he is obligated to uphold the law. He swore a duty, an oath to uphold the law. And you can't start to inflict your personal opinions. If you say, I'm uncomfortable with this, well, then you have an opportunity to say, I either want to work to change the law or you can resign your position. Uh, but, but, but you can't inject that layer or that level of personal uh, preferences into the law. Because if you did that, hey, like you point out, you know, what's to prevent the Italian, and I say that as an Italian, uh, to say, hey, I don't think we should be going after mafia because, I, you know, they're, they're fellow countrymen. Well, wait a minute now. No, no, that's, that's, that's not your job to make that kind of a judgment call. You've sworn an oath to uphold the law. You need to carry through with that. And if you decide that you can't do that for whatever personal reason, then fine, resign. But, you know, don't stand in the way. It's it's an interesting precedent in the case of what's happening in Florida, and I would suspect that we might see uh, other examples of um, uh, attorneys going rogue, so to speak. And um, this is going to continue, I think, to sort of uh, stoke the debate. Again, if folks don't like the laws the way they're passed, go out there and work to change them. More insights on this story and similar ones on Brian's program heard Saturday Mornings at 11 a.m. right here on KFAX. It's called Life Matters. We invite you to tune in for that. More information online about the California Pro-Life Council at CaliforniaProLife.org. That's CaliforniaProLife.org. Brian has written a very insightful educational book that really pulls back on the um, the history of Roe v. Wade and uh, the transitions that this nation has been through over the last 50 years. His book's called The Evil Twins, Roe and Doe, How the Supreme Court Unleashed Medical Killing. And if you'd like to get more information about his book, it's available to you at Amazon.com or, of course, through the California Pro-Life Council at CaliforniaProLife.org. 516 from KFAX. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It was probably, I don't know, 10, maybe 15 years ago that the uh, Midwestern city of Minneapolis decided to engage in a bit of an experiment. Uh, School districts there had been struggling. Parents were frustrated. Students were not testing to the the standards and failing uh, the SATs. And uh, the ability to move on to a two- or four-year college university was being hampered pretty tremendously. And somebody was wise enough to say, well, you know, I I wonder what would happen if we brought a little bit of competition into the system here. If we gave and empowered parents with the ability to take a portion of their own tax dollars and use it for private education, be it the expenses related to homeschooling or sending a son or daughter to a, a private school, parochial school, what have you. An amazing thing on the heels of that came, aside from all of, of course, the, 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 the debate and the you and cry of the teachers' union, they began to realize that parents appreciated the opportunity to be able to take back control of their child's education and ultimately decide what was best for their son or daughter and that, that sense of ability to vote with one's feet sparked some renewed interest and concern amongst government school educators to improve the quality of education so that ultimately they could become more competitive. You know, if if competition is good in every layer of sports and in business and even between nations, why not in education? Well, they're asking that very same question with a model not altogether different from what they came up with successfully so in Minneapolis, this time, though, in the state of Arizona. And to get more details about this and and why, in the wake of COVID, there seems to be growing frustration with government education, we're joined by syndicated talk show host, best-selling author, attorney, CPA, and constitutional historian, Bob Zadek. His program, The Bob Zadek Show, heard locally in the San Francisco Bay region Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer. We'll tell you more about that later on in the program. Meanwhile, Bob, welcome to the conversation. Thank you so much, Craig. Thank you for having me. And by the way, was not it was not uh, generally um, the state of Wisconsin. It was the city at of uh, Milwaukee. Milwaukee. I'm sorry, I said Minneapolis. It was Milwaukee. That's right. It was Milwaukee. Yep. Exactly right. Yep. Um, and and um, they were following the passionate lead uh, first blazed by. Milton Friedman, who was a strong vocal advocate for school choice. He set up a foundation with his wife. He was the first one to really encourage the country to let democracy, small d democracy, affect public education or education of most students in America. Uh, and Milton Friedman, as just as an aside, because I am so guided by his teaching, Milton Friedman also, by the way, led the charge to get rid of the draft. Uh, so his his legacy lives on, and here we are discussing even another piece of his legacy on your show this evening. 
Well, I will tell you that, uh, of course, this is many years ago because he's he's uh, he's been gone from us quite a while. But Milton Friedman was a guest on this program multiple times. I appreciate her not only his insights on the topic of uh, oh my economics. Oh, yes, you. absolutely. Yeah, we ha- we had him on. And, and not only do I appreciate his take on economics, but uh, but most importantly, embraced his position on um, the the empowerment of school choice. And it has many different names, school choice. Uh, in the case of uh, Arizona, empowerment, scholarship accounts, uh, you know, call it what you will. It really comes down to the notion of allowing taxpayers to take their own tax dollars. And if they're not happy with the government education that their son or daughter is receiving, to be able to essentially vote with their feet and go to a better place. And at the end of the day, I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, other than a sense of, of self-preservation um, and, and, and the willingness to not be held accountable, why would anybody, clear thinking, object to this notion? I mean, you know, after all, it's not, it's not government dollars. It's our own tax dollars. And if we find a place that will do a better job in educating our son or daughter and equip them with the tools that they need to succeed in life, why wouldn't everybody be, be behind that? Everybody is behind that with one powerful exception, the teachers' unions. The teachers' unions have an intensely economic vested interest in the status quo. Remember, the teachers' union are civil servants, the teachers. They negotiate with other civil servants, the teaching administration, the teaching the public school establishment. So it's all quite cozy. One hand washes the other. And so we have the the seller is the one advocating for the maintenance of a monopoly. So why are you surprised, Craig? They have a monopoly enforced by the government. If any business in America would have done what the public school establishment had done, they'd all be in prison. They'd all be in breach of federal and state antitrust legislation, and they'd be in prison. And here we consent to have it take place uh, in public education. Even, I'll remind our listeners, even FDR, remember him? He thought public service unions were a terrible idea. Even FDR. Now, let's roll up our sleeves and get into school choice, Greg. Yes, indeed. And, you know, I I want to um, spend a moment, if we can, kind of breaking down the concept here um, in what they're looking at in Arizona, because uh, there's a couple of things that that immediately stand out. Uh, One is, of course, there's all of these objections that you're going to somehow cripple public education. uh, I hope so. And, and, you know, and, and listen, if it's not working, why should we be supporting it? And if it is working, then they should they should not be threatened in any means or fashion whatsoever. Uh, Moreover, uh, if you're shifting students out of the public schools into private schools, then obviously the public schools need less money because they're instructing fewer students. And so the the savings that can be realized by simply looking at the fact that oftentimes these private schools do a far more effective job and at a significantly lower cost than the government schools ought to say to all of us, hey, 
maybe this experiment of forced education with no competition, no accountability, uh, maybe it's time for us to really give a second look at this, particularly in the wake of many of the concerns that were voiced by parents following the, the response to COVID. Frank, there is not one segment of the private economy which hasn't shown itself able to provide their customers with the product the customers want, us, you and I, at a price we are willing to pay. And if they fail at that, they go out of business. So what is there about K-12 through education that makes it special? Why is it required to be sold only by the government, even though we do have a private school system, but it's not as a matter of government policy? Why are they, why do they need compulsory customers? Customers who must patronize them or else they go to jail. Did you ever, no other uh, service provider has that advantage. Buy what we are selling at the price we're selling it at, or you go to prison, except education. And why are they afraid? And by the way, no, nobody, we'll probably discuss the Arizona bill in a moment, but by the way, nobody is suggesting let's end public education. All that is being suggested is let us have choices, school choice so that a parent customer can patronize the government school if they wish, or they can patronize a private school if they wish. All we are saying is, government, you're in the game, and make a product at the right price with quality, and you will get customers. People are not stupid. They will buy what is best for them at the price they're willing to pay. And I think part of the reaction that we're seeing here, and we can uh, discuss this a bit more in depth after the break, but I think part of what we're seeing here in this almost panicked level reaction, and it's happened at state levels with state unions, certainly at the federal level, they, they feel as if they, they may be seeing control slip out of their fingers. And maybe this is a unspoken nod to the notion that they really are fearful that they cannot be competitive, and as a result, can only survive through compulsory attendance. And that's pretty shameful, particularly when the mantra is, we want to put children first. And if we all together agree, as taxpayers, parents, citizens, everybody involved in the process, whether you're teaching the kids, sending your kids to be taught, paying the bill, we all have a stake in this that if we all agree that this needs to be based on the the successful outcome, meaning that at the end of one's matriculation through uh, uh, K through 12, that you have a diploma, that you can actually read some skills, that you actually can market, and have obtained a decent enough education that will allow you the kind of skills that you need to move on to a two- or four-year um, a higher education, if you so desire. And, and let me add that there's nothing wrong with going to the old-fashioned trade school and learning a trade either. Um, why would we not all want to come together and support that? We'll take a time out. We're going to come back with more of our discussion. Bob Zadek with us tonight, 
Bob is the host of the longest-running libertarian talk show in the country, The Bob Zadek Show, heard Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. locally here in the San Francisco Bay region on uh, our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer. Bob's got all kinds of great resources available on his website, recent books, as well as, of course, podcasts of his program and information regarding recent guests by checking out bobzadek.com, B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K, When we come back, why the pushback from government educators as our conversation with Bob Zadek continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, that was a strategically well-placed ad now, wasn't it? <laughs> I don't, don't think, you know, the traffic department schedules all these things. Had no idea, but we want to thank you so much for, <laughs> for the endorsement. We are indeed talking about school choice. It is a controversial issue, though as Bob Zadek points out, it's not really a controversial issue amongst parents or students. It just seems to be the controversial issue amongst those that have the most to lose. And I'm not speaking of our kids. I'm I'm talking about the the machine that is fearful that if it's held accountable to real competition— that it could lose competition. And, you know, Bob Zadek, I was reminded when, when we first saw the emergence years ago of organizations like um, United Parcel Service or Federal Express, they said, this will ruin the post office. You can't take over and do their job. Nobody can do their job as well as the post office can. And, uh, you know, here we are 30 years later. The post office remains broken. And folks have choices, and the post office is now being forced to do a better job at what it does because it recognizes that if it wants to be able to compete in the package-sending game, it needs to be able to step up its game. And, and maybe that's the whole thing here. There's a, is there maybe a, a similar comparison to the paranoia that seems to exist amongst government educators? Uh, government... Uh, only can get customers if it has the entire uh, power and majesty uh, majesty of the governmental system, including those who carry guns on its behalf, to force customers to patronize it. Anybody can sell a service or a product if people with guns are forcing you to do so. So, of course, there are count- there are many parallels, and, of course, you're right with comparing the post office on the one hand to the Federal Express on the other. The post office has always made it, in fact, it is still a crime today for anybody to put anything other than mail in a mailbox. It's a crime. The post office doesn't even want you using there, even though it's not their mailbox. But getting back to school choice, the issue is that there is no no one disputes that it is in our collective best interest for government to see to it that its population is educated. Democracy fails if the voting public is ignorant of the system. So we all have a stake in that. So therefore, of course, at least in my opinion, government should provide 
financing so that everybody has access to quality education, but government shouldn't be the provider of the education, just providing the dollars. And all that Arizona recently did was, instead of giving the dollars to the provider, the teacher, and forcing customers to patronize, it gives the dollars to the customers, the parents, to spend as they see fit for their child. So what? that's small-D democracy. People are much more careful about voting with their dollars than they are about voting with their ballot. They take greater care. Everybody knows that. When people are going to buy a car or a home, they are very careful. They seek out information readily available, and they make an informed decision, or at least they can. However, uh, the fear is that people who are competent to make every other family decision for their family, how to take care of the health of their children, how to feed their children, how to clothe their children, how to protect their children. We trust parents to do that. But somehow the elite have decided parents are too undermotivated and too stupid to know how to educate their children, and that's best left to the administrative bureaucracy in the school system. How obnoxious is that to tell parents, you are not competent to pick the right school, so we will take away that decision and we will force you to attend the school that happens to be in your zip code. There, we have saved you from yourself. It's utterly cynical. And, you know, we, we typically see this uh, sort of battle line drawn in relationship to um, how wealthy that zip code may be, how much money they have available to them through local tax dollars, and somehow suggesting that the folks that live in the Woodside Atherton zip codes are smart enough to make those choices for their son or daughter, also conveniently have oftentimes the resources available to them to vote for the feet if they so choose. But the folks that live in places like Oakland and San Francisco, for some reason we perceive them to be not quite so smart. And therefore, because they may not have the financial wherewithal to privately educate their child, that we literally lock them in to a choice that they never had a choice to make in the first place. And, you know, it, it's always fascinated me with regard to some of this pushback that we see that we, we will talk in terms of poor student performance. Rarely, though, does the dialogue go to poor teacher performance. And, of course, in many respects, in the government schools, you're prohibited in a sense of having that conversation because of something called tenure. Now, I don't know about you, Bob, but most of the people in the working world, myself included, we, we work at the pleasure of our employer. And if our employer someday is not pleased and they're dissatisfied with our performance, we'll often be given an opportunity to raise that performance level up. And if we fail to do so in an at-will employment state, the employer has the right to terminate that work relationship. But there's a special carve-out for government schools, and that's always bothered me. And, you know, and if our listeners think the suggestion that we need 
a vibrant private school network so that parents have a choice, if that seems radical, well, I say to our listeners, look at college education. That's not radical. We have private colleges. We have public colleges. We have public community colleges. All kinds of choices. And what do we do? We give Pell Grants and other government money to those who need it. So a student who is worthy can take the Pell Grant money and go to any college they wish. Nobody seems quite upset about that. And people in this country have a choice of what kind of college to go to, where to go, how much to pay, shop around, and make an informed decision. It's not radical at all. It's how it works. The same is true for nursery school. Nursery schools are private, and it works. People pick the nursery school that suits them. So all of a sudden, there's some, or not all of a sudden, but what's so special about K through 12? What's special is teachers who could not get a job in the private sector want job security. So they seek the government, protect my job, force customers to patronize me, and I don't have to be good at what I do. And that's the system we have now with government schools. And, you know, what's very fascinating about this, too, and we can pick this dialogue up after the break, what's fascinating about this, too, is some folks might be of the opinion that, well, the system has always been with us. I mean, America's known for compulsory education, and, and on average, historically, we've tended to see pretty decent performance numbers out of our students. But that's not true. In fact, largely, compulsory government education is really a 20th century phenomenon, that prior to that, most education took place in the home or in private schools. And, and it wasn't until the government started stepping in, creating schools, then, of course, moving on to compulsory education, and then tenure, and then all of a sudden, as we began to move post-World post War II and into the 1960s and 70s, boy, things really began to run off the rails as you had more and more union influence, particularly in the arena of the content. So parents have less input. They just want to be, uh, you know, the 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 uh, the check writers to help pay for it all. But they have very little to say about what goes on in the schools, and this is problematic. And the performance, the 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 decline in standards and performance in our schools is proof positive that in many respects the system is not working, if it ever worked at all. A timeout back with more of a conversation. Bob Zadek is with us today. He is a CPA, a lawyer, constitutional historian, book author, and host of the nation's longest-running libertarian talk show, The Bob Zadek Show. Comes your way Sunday mornings, 8 a.m. on our sister station, 860 a.m., The Answer. You can check out Bob online at bobzadek.com, B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Just about 12 away from the hour as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. We're talking about a measure in Arizona called the Empowerment Scholarship Account that essentially empowers parents to use a 
grant, scholarship. I mean, it's their own tax dollars, really, to be able to choose the education that they feel is best for their child. The option is leave them right where they're at. If they're in a public school that's performing, you don't have to mess with that. But if they're not, and it's not meeting your son's or daughter's needs, why not be empowered to be able to vote with your feet? Well, this is gaining more and more traction, particularly in a post-COVID environment. We're talking about it today with Bob Zadek. And uh, Bob, I'm, I'm, I'm curious in relationship to the, some of this pushback that we've been talking about here coming from, the, uh, from those within government education. And it, it would seem to be uh, some taboo that we are breaking historical norms here. Should we not, um, uh, you know, uh, w- without reservation, support government education. But that always wasn't the case in America, was it? I mean, isn't largely compulsory government education a 20th century phenomenon? You're quite right. In your, you, you mentioned that earlier in our time together, and you are quite right. I was You couldn't hear me, but I was nodding my head in agreement as you were speaking. You're exactly right. It's, it's in the history of our country, it is very new and a very bad idea. It simply is was the accumulation of intense political power by the teachers' union. Remember Al Shanker in New York City, who led the movement. Uh, the teachers got very powerful politically. They mobilized the parents to be on their side, and there they are with a Monopoly, something which in general in a free market system is an anathema to choice. We don't like monopolies very much, and yet we encourage it or have encouraged it when it comes to teachers. And what's quite interesting is nobody is suggesting, as you mentioned earlier, that we end public education. Of course, I am, but I don't count. Nobody is really suggesting we end public education. All we are saying is, as you mentioned earlier, let's encourage competition just to make them meet market values in offering their product. And therefore, they are free to compete uh, on a level playing field and let the chips fall as they may. And the proof of the pudding, of course, is... Well, before I finish that sentence, there's an important point I want to make before we run out of time. And that is, there's a pocket of utter hypocrisy. And that is as follows. There are many well-known, firmly established lobbying organizations, NAACP, Black Lives Matter, etc., who purport to speak for the needs of various minority groups, such as blacks. I say purport to speak. It is undisputed that blacks, as a voting block, desperately want a private school system. In New York City, when the private schools accept students, they do so by lottery, and they only get to take in one out of every perhaps 50 applicants, and often the news media is there when the lottery is drawn to decide which inner-city students get to go to private school. And students and their parents are sobbing if they don't, 
if their number doesn't come up. They want so desperately to be saved from the ravages of public education. So the, the, the blacks who purport to be the constituency of minority political groups are abandoned because those political groups, in reality, have greater loyalty to the Democratic Party, and the teachers' union is an arm of the Democratic Party. So it is hip- hypocritical that the groups who purport to represent lower and lower middle class people abandon them for crass political benefit, but abandon the needs of those who they purport to represent. Well, and you know, it's the other so challenge that's, that, that's built in here, too, and, and I've heard this from listeners who've said, you know, it, it, it's, it's not necessarily out of choice that we live in the zip code where we live. I would love to be able to get my son or daughter into a better public school, but that's also illegal, too, because if you use, say, a cousin's address or a grandparent's address and they find out that your son or daughter doesn't exactly reside in that zip code, bingo, they'll kick you out. So it, it seems as if, in a sense, the system is almost rigged to, to, to protect the underperformers, and very little, if any, consideration is given to the, to the impact on students. And then when we see kids cross the stage of graduation and they can't read the diploma that they've been handed, we wonder what happened to public education. It breaks my heart to see the crash, the economic needs of the teachers operate in such a harmful way in that it deprives students and their parents of a choice. Our country stands for democracy, voting with your feet, voting with your dollars, as well as voting with your ballot. And we deny that privilege to the customers of public education. Nobody is saying anything other than competition. Why are why are the teaching, why is the teaching establishment so fearful of nothing other than fair competition? Bob Zadek unpacks these issues and more in great detail every Sunday morning on his program, The Bob Zadek Show. We invite you to tune in again Sunday mornings at 8 o'clock. Heard locally on our sister station, 860 AM, The Answer. But Bob is, of course, syndicated. So if you've got friends uh, just about or anywhere else between uh, live radio and the Internet, you can catch his broadcast wherever you happen to be. We invite you to check him out online at bobzadek.com, B-O-B-Z-A-D-E-K.com. Six o'clock from KFAX.